so tell me what you got going on. It's been a while, like I said. It has been, and uh, we were just talking as we were setting up. Uh, you know, we're in that post-COVID uh, time, but it's been crazy. You know, it it seems like uh, that things are even busier now than it was during COVID, and you know how crazy busy it was during COVID. But uh, things are going well. Uh, but there's a lot of people out there in need, and uh, we're in the business of helping people in need, and so things are are pretty busy. You know, as we all know. Uh, costs have gone up uh, just a crazy amount since uh, COVID, has. and uh, it hurts us everywhere. You know, at the grocery store, at the gas pump, uh, rents rents are just crazy right Astronomical, now. And, it, and they're getting worse. And they're getting worse, yeah. And, and really, you don't see any end in sight for it. And uh, so you put all those things together, and uh, a lot of the folks who live in our community, we live in a community that our primary business is tourism, right? Yeah. And uh, jobs and tourism, most of them don't pay a lot. I, I say that all the time. I have that conversation with people. I tell them that you know, they're, people is like they're not happy with the low wages, but we don't have big industry here. We don't have big giant corporations here. We don't have you know manufacturing jobs here. I mean, we have some here and there, but nothing really sustainable for the amount of people that we have, and especially the young people. Yeah. Yeah, we're making progress. I mean, we've made some great progress, I think, over the last 10 years, bringing some manufacturing and, and some of those higher wage uh, jobs into the area. But still, it's just a, a small percentage of the jobs in our area. We're still predominantly tourism, you know, business. And uh, so, uh, you know, even if you have a, you know, two-income family, you have two people, you know, that are you know, maybe a desk clerk at a hotel and somebody working in a restaurant, it... Uh, you know, it isn't a lot of money to, to live with the cost of things these days. And uh, and rents just keep going up and up. And uh, you know, you, the cost really of everything. Do you think the rent is going up more so because the landlords are getting greedier? Is because they know they could demand it now? Or do you think it's going up just because everything else is? So they figure, why not? I think it's a it's a combination of things. Uh, one, uh, you know, their costs are going up too. I mean, that's just the reality. Well, you know, it costs more to have maintenance done. It costs more for, you know, other costs of running a facility. And so part of it, it you know, comes from that. But but a lot of it is just the realities of supply and demand. Uh, you know, there is not enough housing available in our market. In fact, U- University of Florida does a study every year where they look at housing in all the counties in Florida. And uh, we have a shortage of uh, almost 50,000 units uh, that would be considered workforce housing, you know, yeah. something that somebody working in those kinds of jobs could afford to live in. And uh, so when there's a shortage like that, you know, supply and demand, they can, you know, push, push the envelope on cost and, uh, you know, it um, you know, drives the cost up. So there's a lot of different factors, but, you know, a lot of landlords are trying to, uh, you know, to be helpful. And uh, so there's a lot of really good landlords out there. But the reality is most people are landlords because uh, they're trying to make money. Exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, and then, you know, a lot of the the apartment complexes that are being built, uh, most they're of building them. building is so fast. It's crazy, but they're all class A properties, you know, and you're talking about, you know, like $2,000 a month for a one-bedroom apartment. You know, that's why so many people have roommates and that sort of thing. You figure more and more young people are starting to either a move back in with their parents or actually having two or three different people living in the home just where they could afford rent. Yeah, exactly. And and part of that is okay. You know, that's the way I started off too. When I was a young man, you know, I, I lived with other guys and, uh, that's how we were able to afford, uh, you know, to live. But, uh, you know, so, so that part of it is okay. But for families, it's a completely different situation. They don't have the opportunity really to share a house with, 
uh, another family exactly you know, because of the room and uh, and uh, so it's a real challenge especially for young families and it's it's uh, it, you know it doesn't matter what uh, line of work you're in even if you're a, a teacher you know or something like that uh, you know it's just uh, you know the cost of uh, of living right now is just so high it's just, and it's not just here it's across the nation it is you, you figure but also you got to think that people move here and they because no you know, state income tax. And uh, so they're very happy about that. But it's offset with how much things are costing right now. And so they're thinking they're actually saving, but they're really not because just how offset of everything. But like you said, it's just food has gone up. Um, you know, that kind of brings me to some of the things that you do. Um, you know, you helped me right after the hurricane. It was like uh, we fed, I think I called you, I think 270 mils is like when we did over there. Yes. And I remember climbing up and down. I noticed you didn't climb up and down those uh, stairs. I think it was uh, two seven-story buildings, eight-story buildings. Thirteen stories. Oh, 13 two stories, 13 yeah. Story and uh, me and a couple of people, and it's like up, down, up, down. It's like with no elevators feeding everybody. Um, does that hurt you when it comes to the food prices, especially like at your organization? Well, that that is one of the challenges we have now is, you know, it's, it's kind of – we have a situation where there's more people in need, Right. So we need to serve more people, and at the same time, the costs have gone up, you know, radically as well. So, those two factors make it very challenging for us to, you know, continue to meet all the need that is out there. And um, you know, so we're constantly looking for ways. In fact, I had a meeting just this morning where we we're talking about ways. You know, how can how can we uh, improve the nutrition of uh, what we're sending out, but spend less money? And are there ways that we can do that? And um, yeah, so we're always looking for ways to be efficient, and uh, it's really challenging in times like this when the need is going up and the costs are going up simultaneously. Do you find that more people, once they figure out the need, um, they drop off food to you? Because I know like a lot of the food banks right now, they're hurting also. Their shelves are getting smaller, and it used to be is like really low-income people who would go to the food banks and would go to the thrift stores and that sort of thing. And now you're finding it more and more middle-class Americans are actually going there and people showing up in cars is like that you would typically think is like, hey, you don't need the food. But the reality is, you know, they're property rich or they're asset rich, but it's like money poor and they don't have enough money for food, clothing, medical, which is another huge thing. That's true. You know, you look at a lot of those uh, families and they may have been just getting by before the costs went up, right? And now with the cost of food and gas and utilities and everything going up, they need that extra assistance. And so one of the things that sometimes it's difficult for people to understand that uh, when they see somebody driving up in a nice car, uh, to receive, you know, food or, or whatever the, the, um, the item is. And they think, well, that person, you know, they've got that nice car. They could, you know, uh, afford to get their They don't realize they're probably spending seven, $800 a month with their, you know, car note and right. their insurance. and Right. And then and they're hurt just as much when the costs oh. go up because they were just on the border of being able to make it and pay their mortgage or pay their rent or whatever. And now all of a sudden they can't because the grocery bill went up and, you know, we, one of the things we tell people all the time is that, uh, you know, one of our key programs, which we call the Feed a Family Program, which is about distributing groceries to people, is that we, we tell people that's our first line of defense against homelessness. Because if we can reduce the family's uh, grocery cost and then they have more disposable income to pay their light bill or to pay Enough. the rent and those sorts of things. And it's always the smartest thing that you can do is to help people stay in housing, just like in... 
in the medical world, the smartest thing we can do is to spend the money to make sure that people go to the primary care physician and if they're prescribed prescriptions, they have enough money to take to buy those prescriptions and to take those prescriptions. Because if they do those things, maybe make some minor adjustments to lifestyle, then they can avoid being in the emergency room or yep. ending up on the operating table and all the trauma associated with that. And it's the same thing in the world of housing as well, is if we can help somebody over a economic challenge, let's say that... Uh, uh, they had something with the car, but you know, my family just this uh, past week, a couple of days ago, my wife had the ball joint on the front right tire of her car break. I could match you that. I've been working on my truck all week, so yes. this is like a shout out to Terry who's been helping me work on my truck. Yes. <laughs> so you know, when all was said and done, uh, and we had to, of course, when you do on the one side, usually you need to do it on the other side. But when all was said and done, and, and, and with the tow truck bill and everything else, is like $2,200. And that money has to come out of an, another thing, whether right. it's your food, whether it's rent, whether it's light, whether it's actually going out to dinner. Yeah. And fortunately, my wife and I it hurt, but we were able to, you know, to handle it. But for some people, when they're faced with a question like that, they have to make a decision. Are we going to buy groceries? Are we going to fill up the car with gas? Are we going to not pay our electric bill this month. And so if we can help somebody get over that initial financial hurdle so they can get the car fixed so that they can stay working and take the kids to school and all those sorts of things, then a month or two down the line, now they're able to stabilize again and stay in their home rather than losing their home. And then things get much more difficult, especially if an eviction's involved and all those sorts of things make it much more difficult. Yeah. So Hope Place, um, which uh, is that the same thing as Halifax Urban Ministries? That's a great question, uh, actually. So, I've always been confused about that because yes. I know they're both intertwined. Yes, a lot of people are. because So we have five main programs. Halifax Urban Ministries is the umbrella organization. Hope Place, which you see in our, our background here, Hope Place is it's a former Hearst Elementary School that was uh, uh, remodeled uh, back uh, – Six years ago, almost seven years ago, when we started that process. That dinging, guys. I thought I had my phones off. Apparently, I don't. So, sorry about that. That's all right. That's right. So, um, we refurbished the former Hearst Elementary School and turned it into. That's the one on White Street, right? On on, uh, it's actually on Derbyshire and and Wright Street. Yes, Yes, Derbyshire and Wright Street. And uh, so uh, now we provide, we have 26 rooms for emergency shelter for families with children. We have nine apartments for families with children. And then we have seven dorm rooms for young adults, 18 to 24, that don't have any family support. So that's who we serve at Hope Place. We also have a second program uh, called the Barracks of Hope, which we provide transitional housing to male and female veterans. And we're in the process right now of renovating uh, the former uh, Christ United Methodist Church property uh, to uh, make that the new Barracks of Hope. And we're super excited about that. Each veteran there will have 20 rooms. Uh, Four of them will be ADA accessible. And um, each room will have its own private uh, bathroom and a closet. And uh, we're going to you know, have a really nice setup for the veterans there. We're looking forward to that. We're in the process of renovating the property and uh, looking forward to moving in in November. What is the average day of a family versus or a veteran? Great question. So with our families, our goal is to have the families uh, uh, back out in the community within 90 days. 
It's um, pretty fast. It is pretty fast. And we've been very successful at doing that with over a 90% success rate. But to give you an idea, this goes back to the question of what's happened in our current environment with rates is our goal is 90 days. We've always been under 90 days. In fact, uh, 2021 was our best year. Our average was 81 days, and we'd never been above 87 days. But what happened in 2022? We went to 98 days. And that's reflective of how much more difficult it is to find a rental that is affordable to these families. It's just taking that much longer. And the difference between 81 days and 98 days may not seem like a right. But when you're talking about that's an average over 120 families, yeah, it's a big, big, big change. And that's reflective of the increase in rental rates. How many people are on staff who are actually, you know, their boots on the ground? You know, I'm, I'm sure there's got to be a big staff. is like somebody working the phones 24-7. Right. Yeah, we are a 24-7, 365 uh, operation uh, at all of our facilities, as well as in terms of, of our food distribution and so forth. And so we do have 33 uh, full-time staff, uh, but that isn't nearly enough to do the work. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without volunteers. And uh, anyone out there that's listening to this, if you're interested in helping out, reach out to us. And For you sure. can always use volunteers. And especially in the kitchen. I've actually worked in your kitchen a yes, couple times. <laughs> Yes, I've I've peeled some of like carrots and potatoes in your kitchen once or twice, and uh, but it's a if if you, when you guys listen to this is really if you a lot of people send me messages saying hey how can I put back they see a lot of things I do in the community go down to White Street and um, Derbyshire and I think there's a bell you could go up there and volunteer in the kitchen send me a message I'll forward everything to Buck but volunteer in the kitchen. And it really is amazing how many people you could feed and how many meals you could crank out. You might be peeling potatoes. You might be peeling carrots. You might be chopping some of those carrots. But I could tell you two things. You're going to have fun and you're doing something that's going to make a difference. Yeah, that's true. It really is a way that you can, you know, hands-on make a difference in people's lives. And, and it is fun, too, because everybody it that's is. in there working together, they're chatting a mile a minute and joking Mostly around. Me. And, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. We even had a c- Commissioner Juanita May. She went in there. We had a great time. We were just joking around the whole time, and we made some meals. Yeah, she's been in there a couple times yeah. up and out, and uh, she's been absolutely amazing. And uh, it's a great experience. There's a lot of other ways you can volunteer as well uh, with other things, helping out with uh, you know food distribution, with uh, sorting of donations, uh you know, child care. There's a lot of different ways that people can help out depending on what your interests and passions are. Yeah, we've and donated some food before. Uh, you know, we've knocked on your door. You know that. Um, if people have any food, canned items or any of that sort of thing, would they be, all, be able to drop them off? Absolutely. We, we do receive uh, donated food and other items as well. And uh, we uh, suggest that you come by. It's usually best if you come by Monday through Friday between 9 and 4. That's, you know, after, you know, outside of those hours, we have less stuff available, so less people to help out with helping out with those donations. But anything like that, you know, we, we take donated food, which we can redistribute through our pantry network. Uh, we also take uh, certain kinds of furniture, mostly the, you know, the essentials, you know, uh, beds and dressers and couches. And I think I've donated those. a bunch of sweatshirts there or something. Yeah, sweatshirts, that we've had, yes. yeah. Yeah, clothing, uh, housewares. You know, if you if you've got a good set of pots and pans and decide to get a new set, uh, donate them to us because when we do that, it helps the families when they're getting ready to move back out in the community. They get a chance to go in and pick out items that they're going to bring with them, 
And that avoids any additional costs for them uh, for furniture or pots and pans and those sorts of things. So, so it's always great to be able to you know kickstart a family uh, so that they can have some savings when they get started, just in case they run into a situation. So there's this place in San Francisco in California. Uh, it's called Delancey Street. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And what they do is take in families also, but they also take in people who are transitioning from whether it's crime, is like getting out from being locked up or um, drug addiction. And they pretty much do the same thing, get them right back on the feet. They make them work for it. It's a, it there's no free ride. You actually have to work, you know, the programs while you're there. Do you, Does your organization provide any sort of programs, mental health counseling um, or any sort of, mentoring or that sort of thing? Sure, absolutely. Um, so what we do not provide directly uh, mental health counseling, but what we do is we connect with other resources in our community like Chrysalis and SMA Healthcare and, and places like that that do provide those services and, uh, you know, connect the families in, or individuals to them. And uh, But we also do provide case management to all of our uh, individuals and families as well. So the case manager actually is kind of the key in, uh, cog in connecting them to resources in the community as well, whether that's, uh, for instance, we have awesome resource with career source. Uh, if somebody uh, is lo- either looking for a job, which, by the way, most of the people we serve already are working. They just aren't making enough money to be able to survive, you know, in, in the current environment. And uh, but whether they're looking for a, a new job or whether looking for a better job, we do have some great resources uh, with places like Career Source and also Daytona State College, which I always like to give a plug that they are one of only three remaining um, uh, what used to be the community college system in uh, Florida uh, and now the state college system. They're one of the three remaining is right here in our community that provides amazing workforce programs. So. Not everybody is interested in or cut out for going to college and earning a college degree. Some people are really good with their hands. You know, uh, you ever know one of those kids that when they were, from the time they were a young kid, they were taking apart things in the house and the parents. That was me. <laughs> you, know? Uh, I, you know, I can't even tell you how many Christmas presents or other presents ended up with pieces on the floor. But I always had an extra piece, and right. you know, but I'm thinking hey, it was like it doesn't need it. It seems to work okay, and I'm I'm still that same guy. I do construction, so I take things apart quite often. That's right. Well, people are like that. You know, back in you know the '70s when we it was we, a lot of things. You know, there's a good and a bad to, to pretty much everything we do, and. We started really pushing going to college, you know, in the 70s. And uh, by the time we got into the 80s and beyond, a lot of those uh, programs, some vocational programs or workforce programs, they kind of dried up. And uh, and actually some private companies have moved into that business now too. But, but there's people that are just cut out for doing that. And the reality is, is that if you go out and learn to be a good plumber or electrician, uh, you're probably going to make more money than most of the college exactly, educated yeah. people, right? I always, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's that age-old debate, trade school or college. Now, I'm not saying anything's wrong with college, but I've always been to a trade school. I went to a trade school. That's actually, I was an iron worker, union yeah. iron worker. So I actually went to a trade school and learned to trade. And that's actually, you know. Did you do the high rises? Like I do. Uh, here, here in Florida, that's actually how I ended up in Florida. I was uh, in California. I came out here. We were building a missile platform at Kennedy Space Center that led to three missile launchers. And wow. so far here, and it was like a little plug. It's like a 
brag, if you want to call it that. I've built three hospitals, three missile launchers, Harry Potter, King Kong, Kissimmee Bridge, Lake Nona, Daytona Beach uh, Speedway, the expansion there for two years. So my average day was walking on a beam was like a couple hundred feet in the air with my hand wider than my hand, welding it all together. Yeah. So I could tell you about Very it. Cool. Be, I could tell you about it being hot. Like, you guys can't see them, but my arms are full of scars. Um, but, you know, it is it, – it's not for everybody, but I do believe that a trade school, it, you know, you're going to come out with no debt and you're going to come out with a marketable trade. Somebody's always going to need to weld something. Somebody's always going to need to build something. I built this desk myself. Um, so trade schools are very important. Are you So when you say that Daytona Beach, uh, they help with jobs and that sort of thing, is like do they provide you in classroom hands-on experience or how does that work? It's something they do, and, and certainly in uh, the workforce programs, they definitely do. A lot of hands-on experience. And one of the things that, that we talked about a little bit before is we've had some manufacturing and more and more manufacturing coming to our area. There's incredible opportunities for people. They can go and they can do a six-week uh, certificate, the base, the baseline certificate in manufacturing, and walk out and, and have a job making $18 an hour then that employee will continue. Uh, employer will continue to support them to continue to go to school and get advanced certificates to help them to move up the, the ladder. So there's a lot of opportunity for people in that area. Now, some of them like those kinds of things. You have to be somewhat good in math, really. But uh, I could tell you, you know, stories about math. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, there's lots of other opportunities. Welding is another great one. Uh, but there's so many different opportunities, and. Um, you know, and there's also a lot of programs. Career Source has a lot of programs uh, to help people with training and uh, you know so forth. And uh, so we have great resources in our community. How does that happen when say that an employer says, "Hey, I I want to I want to work with you guys." Is there a certain minimum right requirement of what they need to like have them work with you guys? In what way were you? So say uh, I'm I'm not going to hire anybody from there, but say that if I said, hey, I wanted to get in touch with Daytona Beach College, uh, I want somebody who's great at computers, and I want to partner with you guys, and it was like be one of your guys's. Once they graduate, get their certificate of completion, whatever, and start working with me, are there organizations that do that? Or oh, definitely, yeah, and I, and I would definitely, if you want to do that sort of thing, reach out to Daytona State, and they'll connect you with the right people in those programs. But they're definitely interested in doing things like that. That's pretty, the same thing, uh, Career Source is another one, you know, and, and Career Source, uh, you know, posts job opportunities too. So it's a great place to post job opportunities. And uh, they will even work with people to develop programs specifically to, you know, build skill sets and those sorts of things. So at Hope Place, um, when the families go to work, you know, it's like say if it's a mother or father, uh, they go to work. Um, I'm I'm assuming that they take a bus is like if they can or if they do have transportation. What happens with the kids? Do they have daycare there? Do you guys have a schooling there? How does that process work? Great question. So we, we do have – one of the things we have is integrated Head Start and Early Head Start. We partner with Mid-Florida Community Services, who, who's uh, – they provide uh, those programs in, I think, seven counties in, in Florida – and so they have facilities right on our campus. Uh, we rent. Uh, we started off renting one building to them uh, with four classrooms, and it was so successful that they wanted to expand, and uh, we now rent to them a total of eight classrooms. And they serve not only the families who live with us, but uh, those who live in the surrounding area as well. And, uh, and if uh, and depending on the family situation, they might have children in uh, other facilities as well. 
We also have, we have a bus stop right on campus there. So the, the children who are school age, they just literally have to walk out the front of the uh, front gate and uh, the bus will pick them up uh, right on property and take them to their school. And uh, one thing that I didn't know about until I was in this role is that the state of Florida, uh, that uh, there uh, is a law that, uh, that um, the school districts must, uh, if a family, for instance, if a family wanted to their child to stay at Longstreet El- uh, Elementary School, which is on the beach side, uh, on the southern end of, of the county, um, then um, the school district will actually make arrangements. Now, it might take the, the child a couple of bus transfers uh, on, the, on the school buses to make it there, but they will get them to that school if that's the school that the child wants to stay in. That's awesome. So does somebody have to be a, a member or be living on campus? I'll call it a campus. Do they have to live on campus or at Hope Place or one of the other facilities you have to get receive services or help? Or can they be like somebody in the community just need a hand up versus a handout? Yeah, that's a great question. No, we serve uh, many people who are, are not living at Hope Place or the Barracks of Hope. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot of different ways that we can serve people. And, and truthfully, you know, the best option is, is if, if a family, if, if, if the family is ready and uh, uh, there's an opportunity, um, we would bypass altogether and move them right into place. The problem is right now, there's just not enough inventory to do that. So it usually takes a little bit of time uh, at Hope Place or the Barracks of Hope before we can get someone placed. But we definitely serve others as well. Uh, in fact, our feed a family program, the the distribution of the grocery bags, that program is really geared for people who are in housing, and uh, that's the target population there. And um, you know, so we, we also work through our pathways to housing program. Uh, we serve those that are living with us at places like Hope Place, and help them get reestablished in housing. But that's the program that we also help to keep people in housing as well. So uh, by, you know, helping them with short-term, you know, financial assistance, like my example before, you know, if they have a car issue, if the transmission went out on the car, you know, we don't have money to to pay for the transmission to be uh, fixed, but we can help pay the rent for a month or two so that they can get the transmission fixed and cover that bill. How does it work with, uh, you know, so many people in our community, unfortunately, are dealing with drug issues, drug addiction, and uh, that, you know, obviously it terminates the families and it downward spiral of the families, um, that sort of thing. If one is has some sort of addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or what have you, uh, how does that play a role into what you guys do? Do you guys accept people who are coming out of recovery or people who does have drug addiction? How does that part? process work we do we we uh, that is not a barrier to being served Uh, we uh, serve everybody and uh, so somebody's struggling uh, with addiction it could be alcohol could be drugs could be smoking which by the way is a big cost Um, you know and uh, but we are not going to deny services simply based on that Uh, but we do make it part of the case management process you know working with the family and and usually, truthfully, with somebody, you know, that is dealing with things like, again, if you remember, um, you know, back in, uh, you know, freshman 101 or whatever, uh, you know, psych, psych 101, you learned about Maslow's hierarchy. And it really, you know, when you do this kind of work, you really see the reality of Maslow's hierarchy is that, 
you have to deal with those baseline needs of shelter and food and clothing and these types of things first before you can deal with those higher level issues. So if somebody doesn't have shelter for their family, it's really difficult for them to deal with an addiction. You know, so uh, we address the, the housing first, get them stabilized. And then, um, you know, as they um, have interests, we continue to work with them, connect them with resources in the community to help with uh, those other things. And, um, you know, and that's a process that, that works very well. So you and I have a mutual friend, Chrissy, who unfortunately passed away. She had, it was like, um, she, had, she had cancer and she passed away. Unfortunately, she was a super sweet lady. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, when we had our first interview, she reached out and she said, hey, I, I was actually there. He helped save my life. Um, I've heard from a couple other people that is like you've have, have helped them. What's the follow up once you get them stabilized into a house? I know Chrissy always spoke really highly of you and your organization. And um, so, what's the follow once you have somebody in the home? And is there follow up? Um, what's that like? What's that process? So the case managers always get assigned to uh, someone who's being assisted. And uh, depending on the situation, the frequency of follow-up might be weekly or it might be monthly, uh, but there's ongoing follow-up. Typically, we follow up for a year after assisting somebody, and sometimes longer than that, depending on what the situation is. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's just touching base and seeing how things are going. And uh, other times it's helping connect to resources in the community that they need. And, and um, you know, just being someone that they know they can go to if the, they need to assistance with something. Is there some sort of recidivism rate, meaning it was like people who are, you know, they went through the program, you got them stabilized, and then all of a sudden you see them six months or a year later? It does happen, you know, but we have a really good success rate. And so, uh, you know, we see strong success there, but it does happen. And sometimes we have people cycle back through our programs as well. We've had people come back into Hope Place as an example. And, uh, you know, we, you know, work with them again, and hopefully they've learned lessons from the first go around. And sometimes it's things out of their control as well, you know, especially now with, you know, these increased costs that we're seeing, you know, if, you know, somebody that we placed a year ago that was, you know, borderline having enough funds to, you know, be able to, to, um, you know, survive. And, uh, you know, and the costs have gone up, you know, it's, it, it's not surprising that from time to time we see somebody coming back that need additional assistance. Let's talk about Barracks of Hope for the military veterans. What are some of the challenges that you face? Because I'm sure those are some of those challenges are a little bit different than some of the families. Sure. Well, a lot of the veterans we serve, uh, you know, we and we serve a, a wide spectrum. You know, we uh, have quite a few that are come to us that are Vietnam era uh, veterans that are retirement age, that may not be working anymore, um, and all the way down to those who've just recently come out of military service. And so it's pretty wide spectrum, and the challenges are are somewhat uh, different with each of those groups as well. Uh, but a lot of them are dealing with, uh, you know, mental health issues. PTSD is the one we most are most familiar with. And, uh, you know, and that's some real challenges. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a very difficult thing. I was just talking to somebody uh, earlier today about it. And one of the things I learned when I was at Daytona State, we uh, started a, uh, a veterans, uh, you know, program there. And we had a, a veterans lounge uh, where they could go and hang out together and so forth. And I learned a lot about veterans during that time. 
And uh, one of the things I learned was that for those who had served over in Iraq or in the Middle East, that uh, uh, the scariest day for them when they came back was garbage day. Oh, the noise probably or something. Well, no, it was no? it was seeing the packages on the side of the road. Oh, yeah. Because I can see that. They, they, you IED know, or IED, something. IED, right? Yeah. And so a lot of them would, would skip school on the days that were garbage days just because they could not go out and be out, out and about on the roads on those days. And so, um, you know, which is very different from the Vietnam vets have uh, other issues they're dealing with, you know, Agent Orange and My dad you know, had other that. kinds of things. And, uh, you know, uh, so they, they all have different issues, but a lot of them are struggling with those kinds of things. And uh, there are great resources. You know, one, one thing is, is good is the VA has a lot of resources to help with uh, uh, counseling and those sorts of things. Uh, but a lot of them, because of that, they are self-medicating, or they've had the habit of self-medicating. That's why they're leads into addiction, right? That's mm-hmm. why they're you know, have a drinking problem, or why they're taking drugs. And uh, and uh, but if we can get them connected with the right resources to help them, uh, you know, uh, then they can get into a place where they can step away from that. And so, um, you know, we you know th- those things are not barriers to us, as we talked about before. Uh, we will continue to serve. You know, our role in all of our programs is is that we realize that you may be struggling with some of these things, but don't bring it into our property. Don't bring the and, drama. Uh, yeah. Don't bring it in. In fact, uh, at the Barracks of Hope, we actually have a, um, a metal um, uh, box, if you will, that's got, you know, like a one-way, you know, door on it, you know, kind of like a mailbox, and uh, it's an amnesty box. And the rule is that... If you've got something that you shouldn't have, uh, just drop it in the MS box, no questions asked, but don't bring it into the property. Yeah. Um, so do you guys partner with the VA and the VFW and that sort of thing? We do. We do. Uh, we work very closely with the VA, with the Barracks of Hope, and uh, all the local uh, veterans organizations are very supportive of the work that we do. And... Uh, you know, so we have a great relationship, and uh, and there's a lot of support in the community for the veterans. That's awesome. Uh, there's this woman, I, I'm going to butcher her last name, Andrea Gorowski. I'm probably going to – I'm just going to say Andrea. She actually uh, opened up um, a doctor's office. She's not a doctor, but it's like she, some sort of medical thing, and she pretty much serves a lot of the military veterans. Uh, she's got a lot of support. I hope her I actually know Andrea. Grows. Oh, so you know who I'm talking about, yes, Andrea. It's a salty, I think it was salt life or salty life. Something like that, yes. Yeah, and I, was, I wish I had it sitting in front of me, but um, I'm sure it was like, if she sees this, she'll correct me and say, hey, what about this? But she's done some amazing things. She was in the military. Uh, she's done some amazing things helping a lot of the veterans and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's little Things that you don't think about, people help is like behind the scenes. Uh, it's sort of like your organization. They see Buck James, the the director, but there's 50 people behind you who make things happen. And that's I, I think that's the same way with some of the things I do. People see my name, but there's actually 50 people behind me helping with that. Do you want to give a shout out to any of those like uh, amazing people who you partner with? Well, it put me on the spot. Yeah, I, I do. It's like, that's what I do, Buck. <laughs> No, I, I was just saying, though, that you know, we have so many organizations that, that support us. You know, uh, a lot of them, a lot of the churches in the area uh, are very supportive. They, they Not only a lot of our volunteers that go come in and help with the preparation of food and everything are local churches. And the way that our, our program there works is that uh, 
uh, each day of the month. So the first Monday and the second Tuesday and the third Wednesday, all every day of the month, uh, we have an organization that's committed to that. Many of those are local churches that do that. And so they come in, a particular church comes in on the third Wednesday of the month, every month, and uh, they help us prepare and package the food to, you know, to go out into the community. And um, we have similar programs. We have, like I, I mentioned, we have a lot of the local veterans organizations that come in and, and support the work at the Barracks of Hope and uh, the Jewish Federation. Uh, Marvin Miller is amazing. Uh, that whole organization is amazing what they do to support people in our community. And, and uh, they provide uh, a lot of support with uh, food and other items uh, for our veterans there. And, uh, you know, there's so many, a lot of individuals who come out, a lot of schools. They, uh, we have uh, young people from local schools. Embry-Riddle is amazing. Yep. Embry-Riddle, they come out. Some of those guys helped us right after the hurricane. They it was did. Like, you know, they did. Without That's them, you would have done a lot more running. <laughs> I did. I did a lot of running anyway. Two buildings, 13 stories. Then uh, I don't know if you were there when I got the forklift and I brought the water over. And I remember. I, and I got stuck. It was, you know, it was like the water went everywhere. It was like uh, the ground gave out underneath me. But it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have been doing a lot more running. But those kids at Emory Riddle, they really do step up. Yeah, they come uh, out uh, during the school year. Uh, they come out Monday through Thursday every week and provide tutoring to the children That's amazing. at the whole place. I mean, think about that. Monday through Thursday every week, they do tutoring, and they also do uh, a STEAM program, uh, science, technology, engineering, uh, art, and— That's uh, amazing. I can't think of the last one. But anyway, uh, math, math. And uh, so they do a program. They do all kinds of cool stuff, like they you know get a big ladder and— they uh, they have an egg drop and the kid and the kids with all have, the rubber bands and right, straws you have to kid, make something you know. right they had to figure out how to build something I cheated so on that when I was a kid <laughs> yeah. I boiled the egg oh yes oh there you go boiled the egg and then it's like yeah. put this like super glue around it it was like so I made it look like nothing was wrong with it so my <laughs> my egg never broke so I cheated yeah. sorry but uh, they do the Embry Riddle students are amazing they 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 do a lot to support us they also work with us in our community gardens and. Uh, also, uh, the students from the honors program at Daytona State, they come out and do a lot of projects with us uh, at Hope Place. And so, uh, you know, we have just amazing, amazing support from our, our community. Let's talk about, you mentioned food a couple of different times, and, you know, I'm familiar with your kitchen. On average, what is, how many meals do you kick out a month? Mm. It's got to be, I remember, I remember just right after the hurricane, I said we needed 270 meals, and you had 270 meals to us within an hour. <laughs> so I, I know you guys crank out. You know. We do. We do. Well, we, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about yet, and, and it's actually our oldest program, uh, when we were formed in uh, 1981, Halifax Urban Ministries was, uh, we were formed by a group of people who'd been gathering just on an informal basis because they'd recognized a need in the community that there were people that were homeless and that were hungry. And so they started off, you know, cooking in their own homes and maybe the church kitchen and preparing meals and then going and distributing them in local parks. And uh, they realized pretty soon that uh, that wasn't really a sustainable model. And that's when they decided to form Halifax Urban Ministries in 1981. Were and you with them from the start? No, no, no. I, I wasn't even in this area uh, at that time. I was uh, down in South Florida in 1981. And uh, so, uh, but they formed the organization. And uh, so the longest running program actually is providing a daily hot lunch. 
And uh, we still do that today. We average uh, around 200 meals uh, every day uh, for hot lunch. And uh, and surprisingly enough to a lot of people, we're not just serving the homeless. And uh, about, um, I would say, somewhere between 50 and 60% of the people we serve are homeless. But the rest are people who are working. They actually come in, they drive in, you know, uh, and uh, it's an opportunity for them to get a good nutritious meal that uh, doesn't uh, cost them any money. And sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, think, well, why do you give it to those people that are driving up and they're, you know, maybe even they show up in a nice looking car. And uh, believe me, if they're coming to get a meal from this, they need it. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, um, so that's, you know, been our longest running program is providing those meals. So it's, it's you know, 200 meals a day times 365 days. That's, that's a lot. It's a lot of meals, you know. That's, Plus on top of that, you know, we're doing, you know, uh, another, you know, 100 plus you know, meals a day feeding uh, the folks at uh, Hope Place and the Barracks of Hope. Do you guys get any federal funding or state funding, any sort of, or is it just strictly long We do, long-term? But, but not for the, there's really no, uh, there's very little funding other than donations for feeding and those sorts of things. So everybody donate. Yes, yes. You know, and especially in today's uh, environment with the cost of everything. The uh, place where we do get a lot of federal funding is an assistance with housing. So, for instance, uh, there are we participate in multiple programs with HUD, the Housing Ur- Urban Development, yeah. to help people to get reestablished in housing. So that's where the the funding comes from to help somebody with a security deposit and the money to move back into housing. Because you can imagine, if a family is just barely getting by. Uh, you know, they might be with us for two years if they had to save enough money to for first, last, and security to move back into a place. And, uh, you know, so that's where, you know, funding from some of the grants like we get from HUD come in is helping with assistance like that. And sometimes, depending on the situation of the household, we might even provide some additional ongoing assistance for a period of time until they get their, their feet back under them. What is the minimal requirement? Uh, I, I know it's like every place has to have rules, uh, you know, it's like especially your organization where you guys don't get taken advantage of or somebody coming in there and trying to run some sort of scam or thing. What is required of the families who stay there? Do they have to work in the kitchen? Do they have to work on janitorial? Do they have to – what is their requirements is like for in order for you guys to say, yes, we will help you because – you know, I always believe in a hand up. I don't believe in a handout. So what 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 is required of them? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things we do require is chores. Remember that word? Yep. Yes, chores. Some so, kids don't have them these days. No. More of them do need it. I know. But uh, we do require uh, every adult to, uh, so everybody over 18, to have daily chores at Hope Place. And uh, we rotate those generally. And uh, unless we find somebody who loves cleaning the restrooms and are really good at it, they're like, oh, you want to do that full time? You can do that. But we do require everybody. And one of the things we, we teach them is that, uh, you know, sharing in responsibility is part of being part of any organization, whether it's a family or whether it's living in a dorm room in college or whether it's being part of Hope Place or whether it's living in a barracks as a, in a military, uh, you know, uh, organization, wherever it is, is we all have to participate together to make things work. Teamwork uh, makes dream work. That's right. Teamwork makes the dream work. 
So we do require that uh, we, you know, have some, we have some other general rules about, we, we do because it's a family facility. We have a, um, you know, inside the gate by 10 and, uh, you know, quiet by, you know, uh, by 11. That's another question. Are the people who are there that you're helping, are they allowed to freely come and go? Is there a check-in, check-out system? There is a check-in, check-out system. So when they uh, leave, you know, we ask them to sign out, let us know where, good, where they're going to be and when they anticipate being back, things like that. Mostly we explain it's for safety. It's not so we're not trying exactly. to track you. But like, for instance, we have— If somebody's missing, yeah. Right. Or if this morning we had fire alarm go off. Now, it turned out to be a false alarm. It was an issue. But— uh, we need to know who's there in order to safely make sure everybody oh, exactly. has left the place, especially when we have so many children. And uh, a lot of the rules that we have related to those things are revolved around safety for the children. And, um, you know, so we ask people, you know, to comply with those things. And, uh, you know, some of those things, you know, we, you know, we would be hesitant to kick out a family if they weren't doing their chores. You know, if that was, you know, It'd probably be other circumstances that would go wrong, along with not doing your chores, right? Because because ultimately, you know, you know, we're talking about creating a safe place for those children. What is the average age for the children? You know, it, it fluctuates a lot depending on the families. You know, at sometimes we have when we have a lot of young young children, and uh, other times we have older children or a mix of them, and so it just depends on the families that are there because their families are constantly, you know, we have 35 families at any one time, and we might have three, four, five families a week that are moving out into the community. So there's a constant flow, ebb and flow of the families. So people who may be watching this uh, afterwards, we're going to, this pre-recorded, and then we're going to put it up there. If anybody has any clothing, um, children's clothes, men, women, boy, girl, um, good condition, you could drop them off at um, the Hope Place, uh, right over there on Derbyshire, can't even talk today, Derbyshire and White Street, and uh, drop them off because they could definitely help them. Um, you may have is like some kids who outgrow them, and you don't know what to do with them. It's a great organization. It'll help us like some more people in our community. Very good. Thank you. So I have some shoes I could donate. Mine, I got big feet, though, so I was like, you know. <laughs> well, we, we need those, too. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I got big feet right there. <laughs> So what are some of the other things that you're involved in? And I see you at some other events uh, once in a while here is like sponsored by Halifax Urban Ministries. What are some of the other events that you're involved in? Sure. Well, we, uh, you know, one of the things we're always interested in, in promoting is the need to have more affordable housing. And uh, so we're involved in a lot of groups that are working on uh, those things. And, and we also are always looking for opportunities where we might be able to participate in that. We've actually been working with a developer now for the last uh, three years uh, to try to build a, a new facility for workforce housing, and that would be funded partially through uh, tax credit funding through it's a public-private uh, uh, partnership, federal government, state government, and uh, you know uh, private entities uh, to try to increase the inventory of uh, affordable housing. Unfortunately, we haven't been funded yet, but we keep trying. And uh, here's another impact of costs. When we first started this project, the developer actually uh, owns a piece of land on Derbyshire, a big piece of land on Derbyshire. And uh, when we first started the project, um, 
the we could do 92 units on that property. Um, the second year that we uh, put a proposal forward, it had dropped to 64 units, and the most recent was 52 units, all because of the increase in construction costs over that three-year period of time. I could tell you construction costs have gone crazy. I, I mean, I work construction every day. I actually left work today to do this. You know, I'm anti-development. Uh, I think we just have too much. I understand we need affordable housing, but when we have so many people moving into the area and so many, you know, it's like apartment buildings go it brings even more. You know, my thing is always, you know, do we have the resources? Uh, do we have the water? Do we have those, like the schooling for it? It's like, you know, in fact, packed schooling. It's like, do we have the road, even the roads going down any major road here in, in Volusia County is a nightmare. But I do believe we need affordable housing, you know, so it's kind of one of those is like, which one is like, do we need more traffic, more, you know, strain on the resources that we have, police, fire, EMS, that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I, I, I could see the need for affordable housing. And related to that, one of the other projects that uh, I've been promoting quite a bit is uh, in that area that we used to operate multiple uh, programs uh, on the North Street, Ridgewood, that corridor there, Seagrave, uh, that entire block there is owned by the Coalition for the Homeless. And uh, they have a vision, and uh, we are helping to promote it to transform that entire block into workforce housing. I'm talking really nice, beautiful, beautiful housing. Um, homeless. I remember when I first moved here, I think it was 10 years ago or somewhere thereabouts, um, they had a pastor, Pastor Pastor, Pastor or something. I remember there was some big controversy, him bringing in homeless and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I understand he passed away like shortly thereafter and that sort of thing. Do you find that the homeless rate is going up here in Volusia County or down? I, I know for a long time, you'd go down Bevel, you'd see is like people camping out over by the Walmart and you'd see the people panhandling is like they put, you know, some ordinance about that, which, you know, I, I think we needed it, that sort of thing. What do you think is the, is the homelessness getting worse? And do you think it is because of the two things? Is it one, because just they're priced out of everything? Or do you think is also, is it, a combination of that along with drugs and that sort of thing? Well, it is a combination of factors, and it depends on what population you're talking about. If you're talking about uh, families with, with children, you know, it's primarily issues of just, you know, financial viability, being able to make enough money to afford, uh, you know, rents and other expenses in this area. And, um, you know, so, but if you're talking about single homeless, it's a variety of different issues. There, you know, some estimates would say that over 60% of the single homeless uh, have mental health issues. And uh, in fact, uh, a, a friend of mine, Paul Gianfrido, wrote a book uh, about this called uh, Saving Tim or Losing Tim. I'm sorry, Losing Tim. And uh, it was about his story about how when he was 27 years old, he was elected, this is in the late 70s, he was elected to serve in the State House in Connecticut, and uh, he was asked to uh, lead a group that was trying to figure out what to do with the state mental hospitals, which were a real mess back in those days, and there was abuse and uh, neglect and, and so forth going in on in those places all over the country. And so he got involved in that conversation, and um, nationwide, they ended up promoting a new plan, which was to shut down all of those state mental health hospitals. 
and to instead move to a model of community-based uh, health, mental health. And uh, so they did move forward and shut down all those hospitals. Uh, but all that money didn't get redirected into building a community-based mental health system. A lot of it got sucked into the programs. And so, you know, the book is about how he was a part of uh, creating the broken system that we have today. The second part of the story was that uh, during that time period, his wife and he, they were newly married at 27. They didn't realize that they were going to be unable to have children. And they began adopting children, and they adopted three. Um, but the oldest, when he was 17 years old, was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he ended up spending 25 years on the streets of San Francisco as a homeless man before uh, until he died. And so the book is about how he was part of creating this broken system of mental health that we have that ended up failing his own son, who ended up dying on the streets of San Francisco. And so there is, especially among the single homeless population, there's a lot of mental health. It's un, untreated, undiagnosed uh, mental health issues. And um, you know, we really need to do more in our society. We definitely too. do. Yes. You know, there's a lot of people who, who could live normal lives if you know, they were being properly treated and so forth. And so that's a big issue. And um, no. so it's a variety of different things. It depends on the population, depends on the individual that you're talking about. And, uh, uh, but we need to address all of those fronts. Yeah, we definitely do, especially when it comes to mental health. Um, so many more people are starting to be affected by that. So what's next with, uh, our time is starting to come to a short is like, so what's next is like on your guys' agenda. What's next for Halifax urban ministries? What, what What's on the horizon? Well, I, I referred to it earlier, but the big project we have going this year is the renovation of the uh, Old Christ United Methodist uh, uh, property uh, to turn it into the new Barracks of Hope. So we're super excited about that. We have a projected move-in date in November, and in fact, we've our grand opening date has been slated for November 10th, which is the observed day for Veterans Day. So we're yeah. excited about that. That's a great program. Uh, we're still hopeful to be able to, you know, be able to make some difference in terms of, uh, you know, getting some new affordable housing built in our community. That's critical. And uh, we're just, every day, we're trying to do what we can to help and support the people in our community that need assistance. So that's awesome. Again, I'm gonna, I can't stress this enough. People, if you have any clothing, any food, um, say if somebody wanted to make a financial contribution, how would they, how would they go about that? Well, they can certainly go to our website, uh, halifaxurbanministries.org, and, uh, or just search for Halifax Urban Ministries. You'll find it, and uh, it'll be clear you know, how you can you know, uh, support us financially there. Just click on Donate. It's also a great resource uh, if you um, want to help somebody assist them to find resources. There is a, on the right-hand side of our website, on our menu, there's a Need Help uh, menu item. You can click on that and uh, help to find resources that are available either through Halifax Urban Ministries or other organizations in our community that can help people. And remember, people, it's .org. Uh, make sure when you go to these websites, you're actually going to the real website. Uh, when you Google search it, don't go to the one that said ad sponsor. Um, go to the actual website. Make sure that your money is going exactly where you want and you don't get some spam thing that's been happening a lot. 
So how did you get – so I'm going to segue from that. How did you become the executive director? How can I be the executive director <laughs> in, in waiting? How did, how did that happen? Well, it, it was one of those things, you know, uh, you know I, I would say it was a God thing, you know um, – Someone approached me that was on the on the board uh, who knew me and uh, and asked if I would be interested in the position. And my response was, "Well, I'm I'm not sure, but I would be interested in a conversation about it." And uh, I was very familiar with Halifax. Well, I thought I was very familiar. It, it turned out I only knew a small amount of what they were involved in, but I'd actually volunteered there on several occasions helping out with different projects. You know, one time I did a painting project. One day I did a, a cleanup of landscaping. Did you ever have to peel potatoes? I, I, well, actually, I did work in the kitchen. I, I'm not sure if I peeled potatoes on that day, but I did I did volunteer in the kitchen at, at least on two occasions. I joke about that, but I actually love the kitchen. I had a great time, even though it was like any other time I don't want to peel potatoes or it carrots, but I did have a great time. Yeah, it is. And uh, so anyway, uh, so we had a conversation, and two weeks later, I was the executive director. Wow. And uh, you'll love this, though. So my first day on the job, it was a Saturday. Um, so I was, you know, uh, voted on by the board, I think, on a Friday. And the next day, it turned out that they had a fundraiser. So I showed up in an official capacity the next day on a Saturday, and they handed me a microphone and told me to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, Steve, can you talk about this? Talk that's that's funny. And I and then later I found out how much I didn't know about the organization. That uh, they, there's so many things that I think that's true in the community is that uh, you know so many people know the name Halifax or Ministers. They might know one of the programs like Hope Place, the Barracks of Hope. But very few people know the breadth of the things that were involved. It's in huge. It's, uh, I was amazed when I started learning about it. You know, it's yeah. it's quite impressive. One of the things that I, I share with people, you know, to give them perspective, is that uh, when I when I first started, I found out that in year one in nineteen eighty one, the budget was twenty seven thousand uh, dollars. Today, this year, the budget is three point four million dollars. Oh, wow. So that gives you some perspective. No, I probably don't want to be the executive director of like $3 million. What could I buy? We there's, need new trailers. We need new kitchens. There's never enough. No. There's never enough. Uh, but it is, and it takes everybody working together, too. That's one of the things you find when you do a job like this is that uh, it takes everybody working together. We couldn't do this without all the volunteers. We couldn't do it without the people that support financially or the people that donate items, you know, that we can then, uh, you know, give to people, uh, you know, to help them. Uh, it takes everybody working together. It's but a when we do it. You know, I, I had an opportunity this past weekend to uh, speak. There's a – if you're familiar with the Hugh O'Brien yep. uh, Youth Leadership. So I, they, they um, had an event at Embry-Riddle uh, on Saturday, and I was uh, able to speak to the group. But one of the things that they did is after I spoke to them, they uh, they put together 1,000 hygiene slash first aid kits and did that in just over an hour. That's amazing. And, you know, that's what you can do when you when, get a lot of people, people that come together and, and you can make a real difference like you've seen with hurricane cleanup and all these other kinds that of was, things. That was insanity. Yeah. We did the – I think right after we were over at the – I always forget the name of that community where we were over there. That was 
two buildings, so 13, I can't even remember the story. I just remember going up and down those stairs. It was like a million times. Uh, it was like giving them water. First, it was the water on our shoulders, yeah. um, and then it was the food afterwards. Well, those and buildings then, are like 20-something stories. Like, well, the next day, we went over to Halifax. I mean, um, one of those buildings, 26 stories or something, yes. and we were over there, the same thing, 26 stories up and down. So it wasn't just going 26 stories. It was going to one story, well, second story, second story, second story. Now we finished second, third, third. story, third story. So it's like, I, let me just tell you, I was sore for a week after. Oh, man. I was just, yeah, it was, it was crazy. But we did a lot of good things over there. Uh, I was so impressed, and I was amazed that when we called, and like I said, you guys had, a, I think we, yeah, 120 mils. And um, yeah, I remember making the call to you, and then you had them over there within an hour. And it well, was just no, amazing. if you remember, his first Juanita called me for 120 meals. Oh, then I, we needed more. And then yeah. I said, "Well, you got because this was the day after the hurricane, yeah. and we, you know, most of our staff was still stuck. You know, they couldn't even get to the office or anything. So I had to go see if we could actually do it. And then so, guys from Emory Riddle, they showed up too. Yeah, they did too. So so 40 minutes later, I called Quinita back and I said, all right, we can have you 120 meals uh, by 530. And she said, I need 212 now. And then, you know, so I'm going to, I am going to roast her a little bit. So hopefully that she sees this because she got there. She's like, Steve, you take those meals up there. Are you coordinated? And so everybody was kind of doing their own thing. I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then the next thing I know is like, I'm carrying all the water and I'm carrying all the food. But uh, James, uh, I can't remember his last name, and um, I can't remember it was uh, Tracy or something like that. It was like they were two people who were actually they were rock stars. They got it done. They went above and beyond, just like everybody else did. I yeah. mean, just like the people who actually went in the kitchen. You guys provided the meals and that sort of thing. But, but do you remember though the moment we had finished and we were we were just kind of just all just enjoying the moment. And then all of a sudden, one person came out on the balcony and started to clap. And then another person yeah, came I remember out. That, yeah. And then not only the one building, but then across the street, the other building, there were people clapping. It was it pretty, was like, yeah. I didn't know what cool. to do. I was, I was, but I don't remember if, if you remember, I was being the joker. I'm like, standing at the bottom, listen here, everybody, go to your rooms. But uh, it was, it was quite a, uh, quite an accomplishment. But then I always forget, like, I'm so terrible on things like social media and everything like that. It's like the whole time I was just enjoying the moment. I never thought to take my phone out and get video. That, you know, that's what's funny. Somebody, <laughs> you know, though the next day when we're over at the, I can't remember the other building. It was like um, Halifax or Landing or whatever it is, where there are two buildings or 26 stories. The next day they actually had a newspaper reporter. Oh, the Marina Grand. Marina Grand. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. did that. Yeah, 26 stories. And you figure those people would have helped actually take some of that food up and down who actually lived in there. They didn't. No, you no. know, it was like, so I, let me just tell you, I was already sore from the, the previous day and right. then going over there and doing 26 stories, both of those buildings, and uh, a lot of help also. Uh, we had some great volunteers. Um, it was still a lot of work. But le the funny thing is I read about it in the newspaper and uh, they showed me, it was like, they showed a picture of my back actually unloading some of the water. And uh, the one thing that I thought was funny, they said in the newspaper, is like an organization is like uh, donated to the water. What they didn't know, it was actually me and a guy named Steve who actually went and bought all the water. Yes. We actually came back from, here's a funny story. So we had pallets like of water all shrink wrapped, had one in my truck, one in his. We're going back and forth taking pallets of water. The first load, 
went right around the corner on the back of Steve's. He didn't have it secured. Went all over Dunlop. Oh, yeah. And so cars are actually swerving. We're in Dun in the middle of Dunlop and is like taking bottles of water, throwing them on the side, try to salvage it. But uh, we got the job done. It was amazing. And the, the funniest, ironic part is as soon as we got the 26th floor done, the very last thing, all of a sudden they had the elevators working. Right. As soon as we were done, they couldn't have them done before then. As soon as we, it's like everybody's tired and sweating. And I could tell you all about that stairwell. It was not fun. So hats off to fire firemen who actually have to go up stairwells like that because uh, it's quite an ordeal. But uh, sure. our time is coming too short. Anything you'd like to say in closing? Well, it's been great getting with you again. It's, it's been, been too it's, long. It's been a while. Yes. Yeah. It's like you're a very busy man. Uh, as so, are you. Yeah, sometimes. I try to stay busy. I don't know if it always works out, but trying to have a little bit more fun time. This actually, this room is like people, you could actually rent out this room um, and have your own podcast. Um, but this is this room is, it's been fun getting this together and actually having some really great guests. And we have some other guests coming up pretty soon. So stay tuned. Go to what's happening live.com and you'll see our guest list coming up pretty soon. And as always, I want to thank Buck James, um, Halifax urban ministries, hope place barracks of hope. What are the other ones? Bridge of hope pathways to housing feed a family. That is awesome. So again, uh, it's a very, very worthwhile charity to donate to whether it's financial, whether it's clothing, whether it's food, whether it's volunteer, they could always use somebody in the kitchen. Um, you're going to have a great time. You're going to do something, help your community. It's a way to give back and do something is like bigger than yourself. So Buck, I'd like to say thank you again for coming here. And uh, again, this is what's happening in live. And you could also find us on Oceans Media Group and hope to talk to you guys again soon. Thanks, Buck. Enjoyed.